Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. This is part three of our series on the first Underground Railroad, which was the road to freedom in Florida. When the British assumed control of Florida and the Union Jack, uh, which at the time did not include uh, 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 the uh, Irish, uh, the motif of the Irish flag. It's a combination at the time of the English uh, St. George's Cross and, and the, uh, the Scottish flag. It was raised in St. Augustine after the Treaty of Paris in 1763. The assumption was Florida's history as a haven for runaway slaves and a place the only locale on the North American continent where African Americans would be armed as they were uh, obviously by Go- Governor Montiano as we talked about uh, particularly during the, the uh, uh, War of Jenkins here uh, from, uh, from 1739 to 1748 was over. So now Florida, East Florida like any other British held colony British held possession in North America would have slaves. The British, as I'm sure most of our listeners know, divided the their holdings in Florida into the colony of East Florida and West Florida. The dividing line was the Apalachicola River. Everything west was governed from Pensacola. That included the, the lower portions of what is now the states of Alabama, Mississippi, and also part of Louisiana. Now, the part of Louisiana is well known. It's called, even to this day, the Florida parishes of Louisiana. Those were the parts of Louisiana that were part of the British colony of West Florida. Baton Rouge, the capital of of Louisiana, is actually uh, right at the edge of those Florida parishes. But for this uh, conversation, we're going to be concerned primarily with uh, East Florida. We're going to talk a little bit about West Florida in the next episode after uh, Spanish the Spanish return to, to the Floridas and assume control of East and West Florida after the American Revolutionary War. As the British explored their new holdings they realized the best place for cultivation and agriculture was east of the St. John's River. So, in reality, nothing west of the St. John's River was was colonized, so to speak. There were no plantations. There were no. There was no agriculture. Uh, there was a, a real excitement uh, in Britain about East Florida and the potential it had. It it fit an incredibly important purpose at that time, linking the North American colonies of the British, which started at the St. Mary's River, right, uh, with the, the modern-day boundary between Florida and Georgia, all the way up through Canada. 1763, they get control of most of Canada. Uh, that, that's a, an important date because the 1763, the Quebec Act, uh, after they got uh, control of what was French Canada, uh, was a decisive moment in creating the conditions for the American Revolution. Not always talked about in American textbooks, but that's an important moment. Uh, one of the things that, that turned the colonists in what were the uh, North American colonies between New Hampshire and Georgia against the crown. 
but it was an important link between those colonies and the Caribbean. And in fact, the climate was very similar in many ways to the Caribbean, but also the vegetation could be similar. The kind of crops that you could grow could be similar to Georgia and South Carolina. Uh, So really big potential for East Florida in, in the British eyes. Uh, we've, we've done a, a podcast on this before. I'm actually writing a book on, on uh, British Florida. Uh, so maybe we'll save the conversation of the cultivation of land and citrus and the plantations themselves and the agriculture and the St. John's River. We'll save that for uh, a, a, another podcast. Let's jump ahead. So the plantations are established uh, in Florida. New Smyrna is a new colony that's established. That's, that becomes the second city of East Florida for, for a time. Uh, now, New Smyrna Beach, obviously in Volusia County, uh, populated by Menorcans who were poor indentured laborers. So Florida is functioning like a, uh, a an English, a British colony to the north or a British colony in the Caribbean. And then those days, you have to remember the the Spice Islands, uh, the islands where you could grow indigo, sugar, spices in the Caribbean were much more important economically to Britain's empire and to France's empire uh, than their possessions in North America. So uh, France is still uh, viable. They've still got Martinique and a couple of islands. It's going to play a role in the American Revolution. The English, the British have taken over much of the Caribbean and uh, there's going to be a battle over the Caribbean. Florida is perfectly situated to protect, much like it was for the Spanish, to protect Puerto Rico and uh, Hispaniola, their portion of Hispaniola. Uh, the other portion was, of course, French. Uh, and uh, Cuba, uh, Florida is perfectly situated to protect the Bahamas, Jamaica, the Virgin Islands, what we now call the Virgin Islands, which were uh, British possessions. Again, do not want to get too deep into the causes of the American Revolution and Florida's what where Florida was situated in the American Revolution. We've done other podcasts on that. As I said, I'm writing a book about that period currently, and have uh, uh, we have a number of articles and excerpts of the book as it goes on that will be published at thefloridasqueeze.com. So we can talk about that and 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 how politics in Georgia and in North Carolina and South Carolina impacted Florida, uh, but. Importantly, we'll get uh, skipping all of that. Florida's history as a haven for runaway slaves did not, as it turns out, end in 1763. It was just a pause between 1763 and 1775 because the British authorities, much like their Spanish predecessors, began to actively encourage runaway slaves to seek refuge once the American colonies were in a uh, state of rebellion. This, like the Spanish, the British realized if you could dismember some of the, the, the plantation economy and many of the southern uh, Many of the Southern loyalists were slave owners, but also a lot of the Southern patriots were slave owners. And if you could disrupt the economy, and create a certain degree of fear by once again arming African-Americans, fear among the patriots, uh, that would be very successful. So they effectively stole a piece from the Spanish playbook. Uh, the, 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 the Spanish playbook from 1693 onward 
to uh, encourage runaway slaves and eventually, uh, starting in 1738, to arm African Americans to, 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 to strike fear in, in the, uh, into the heads of slave owners. So the British, having been, uh, the, having been the target of this Spanish uh, idea, now decides, you know what, we're going to do the same thing. So after 1763, there were very few free blacks, uh, maybe none, left in East Florida. We know all but a handful of families left St. Augustine in 1763 when the British took over. All of the freed African Americans left. Most of them went to Cuba. Records are kind of sketchy. We don't know what became of them in Cuba. We don't know if they ended up maybe back in North America in slavery, some of them. But that was uh, that was what happened. So now East Florida is operating like any other British colony to the north. One of the chief differences between the colonists the so-called patriots and the British who ruled them were that the British who had ruled them had seen the effectiveness of the Spanish in arming former slaves. Once they're in Spanish, Spanish Florida, they're former slaves. They've converted to Catholicism. In fact, the British had a, a history in other colonies of arming slaves. That was one of their weapons. And that struck fear and terror in, in, into the southern plantation owners. So it was a fear of American slave owners in, in the South that uh, the British would arm the slaves once the rebellion started. And certainly that is what happened. So once Lexington and Concord happened and, and the uh, Americans are fighting for independence, the fourth Earl of Dunmore, John Murray, who was the governor, uh, the royal governor of Virginia, offered freedom to any slave in his colony willing to escape their chains uh, uh, from their owners, their bondage, and fight on the side of the crown. We know this now is Dunmore's proclamation. That's what we, we've called in the history. Lord Dunmore uh, had a new fighting regiment. He called them the Ethiopian Regiment, and uh, they had some uh, real uh, state-of-the-art for that era weapons, maybe better weapons than, than their, uh, their, the owners they were running away from were armed with by the militias, uh, the, the, the Patriot militias. But Dunmore was an exception. A lot of British commanders did not want to arm African Americans, particularly those who were sensitive to, hey, uh, these colonists, these uh, they're really Englishmen also, British also, uh, we're going to want to make peace with them. The Howe brothers, who were the most prominent military family in the colonies on the British side, they were always, I mean, there's even conspiracy theories to this day that they let George Washington escape New York when they could have crushed him, and, and that's where the George Washington Bridge is now. He went to Fort Lee, New Jersey, uh, because they didn't want to crush the colonists. They didn't. They wanted some sort of peace and some sort of amicable uh, getting back together. So there were a lot of British governors and leaders and commanders who were not uh, into arming African Americans, knowing the reaction that would cause. Lord Dunmore was not one of them. He was very much uh, interested not only in arming them but giving them state-of-the-art weapons and sending them loose. Uh, in, into the uh, back country of the Carolinas and uh, uh, the uh, uh, and into Virginia. So, 
as Dunmore is capturing prisoners of war, American prisoners of war, or patriots, whatever you want to call them, continentals, they, uh, he is also sending freed slaves on these same prisoner of war ships to St. Augustine. So many prominent uh, patriots were held as Captor, uh, captives as prisoners of war in St. Augustine, including three signers of the Declaration of Independence. And there were a number of uh, uh, blacks being sent to St. Augustine. Now, this concerned Governor Tonin, uh, Patrick Tonin. If you listen to some of the other podcasts or read uh, the FloridaSqueeze.com site, you'll, you'll, you'll learn all about Patrick Tonin, who was uh, just a, a toxic character for lack of a better term a very very bad guy who who was a, a military man too and he was the, the governor of east florida uh, but lord george germain who was the secretary of state for the american colonies uh decided that it was in the best interest to arm a lot of these uh, African Americans, so that that would strike fear in the hearts of the patriots who were attempting to invade Florida. Again, check out um, some of our previous podcasts uh, on the, at the Florida History Podcast for the history of invasions by the Continental Army or attempted invasions by the American side into British East Florida. And, and again, I guess the important thing to remember is uh, East Florida stayed loyal to the crown. Uh, part of that was that there were a lot of Catholics in Florida. And, and at this point, the crown is trying to reconcile with uh, the Catholic Church. We talked in the last show about how um, how there was a lot of antagonism on the British side towards Catholicism in general. By the 1770s, having acquired Quebec, having uh, problems in Ireland, the crown is actively trying to mollify that. So Catholics, uh, and there's a very anti-Catholic streak. I mean, this this may be one of the most controversial things I say in this series. Uh, it's something I strongly believe from, uh, from my reading of history and, and something that's not talked about enough. Again, so much of American history has been whitewashed. The American Revolution has a strong anti-Catholic streak. Uh, in my opinion, and the Patriot side has a strong anti-Catholic streak. So uh, that's why Quebec wouldn't join with the Patriots and and fought valiantly against uh, the invasion. Uh, General Richard Montgomery gets killed New Year's Eve, 1775, outside Quebec, um, uh, outside Montreal. And uh, you have uh, Benedict Arnold, of course, heroically. I I mean, two of the the most, uh, the biggest scoundrels in American history were actually hardened in that campaign, that invasion of Quebec, Benedict Arnold and Aaron Burr. Uh, Burr was a colonel. Uh, Arnold obviously uh, became a general, as we know. So, uh, but they didn't want to join and Florida didn't want to join. Florida still had some Catholics left over. They were, as I said, most people left the colony, Spanish people, but the ones who stayed behind were Catholics. And then the Menorcans who moved in were Catholics. And then there were some uh, uh, Greeks who were Orthodox that had moved into the colony. And it was just, it, it wasn't a, uh, uh, all the, 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 the kind of mainline Protestant de- uh, denominations that made up uh, the colonies to the north. That was not the case in Florida. So Florida stays loyal to the crown. Uh, needed to mention that earlier, but, but we've mentioned it now, so let's let's move on. So now you have armed African Americans again in Florida, ready to fight on the British side against the Americans. Governor Tonin, if left to his own devices, would have 
not wanted the African uh, Americans, the, the the blacks coming to Florida at all. He was a slave owner. He owned the plantation. There's a whole uh, that's a, that's going to be a story for another episode. The plantation he owned, uh, and and uh, on the banks of the St. Johns River. But Tonin uh, is not. Uh, the boss, right? And you have uh, include uh, other uh, uh, commanders. We've mentioned a few of them, other people who are higher in the pecking order in governing the colonies. Uh, obviously, mentioned uh, Lord Dunmore, who is in uh, who is in Virginia, and of course, Germain, uh, 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 who is the Secretary of the American Colonies, and then eventually General Clinton himself, Henry Clinton. The supreme commander of the uh, of the British forces uh, decides that any African American, any slave that's in bondage that wants to flee behind the British lines or into British-held territory will be given their freedom. Now they didn't live up to that. We know that historically, but that was the uh, the rhetoric then because uh, they were. Particularly when the war came south, 1779-1780, the British uh, were looking to really destabilize uh, the, 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 the southern loyalists. And loyalist plantation owners felt the strain uh, as they, they all uh, were, were, were fearful of slaves uh, escaping and, and many uh, dealt with uh, escaped slaves and it kind of changed the, the psychology of how, how they did things. So... Uh, you have um, a lot of freed slaves at this point now fighting on the British side. In Charleston, uh, other parts of the Carolinas, and you have even regiments coming out of East Florida that are uh, being sent north to um, to uh, uh, with freed slaves to capture parts of the south recapture parts of the south and also dismember the plantation economy which was which was a goal slaves who had not been freed and were uh, working on plantations in east florida were employed by governor tonin to build fortifications around saint augustine and prepare St. Augustine in case there was an invasion. So there were a lot of sla- uh, slaves that were not freed, but were effectively aiding the British side. But the British made a lot of proclamations. They didn't live up to them. They were using slaves as pawns in this battle with the Americans. Uh, also, uh, just as, as a psychological war. So, unfortunately, in the service of the crown, we learn that over and over again, promises that were made to African Americans were not kept. However, there was also a difference with the British uh, slaveholders in East Florida versus those in the colonies to the north. We talked about arming Slaves, which was something the British did, but the American colonists didn't like, and they didn't like the British doing it, and so the British didn't do it anymore in the 1700s in the South. However, now that uh, effectively East Florida is has been settled by newer colonists, right? They're people who have come in the last 10 or 15 years. They're not long-term plantation owners. Governor Tonin asks each plantation owner. Which slaves can you trust with um, 
with military equipment, which slaves can you trust with guns? Because we're going to arm them in case the Americans invade Florida and they're going to be fighting the Americans. So uh, even though they didn't live up to their promises to British, it's all relative, right? They were all really kind of scoundrels and, and terrible racists, all these people. But the British were at least willing to arm African Americans, whereas we know the, uh, uh, the 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 Americans, the United States, as they were calling themselves, or the United Colonies, uh, were, were uh, became the United States of America, were not willing to arm slaves. And we know in the in in the Civil War that was a huge battle for the South, even as they were going down, <laughs> they weren't willing to arm slaves uh, or, or arm African Americans, and and that was a, a, a they they would have lost the war anyway eventually. Uh, militarily, there was just no way they could they could hold out, or economically also. But um, their hesitation on that issue certainly didn't help the Southern cause. So um, another number of uh, uh, freed slaves and African Americans uh, uh, helped uh, um, the British forces, and, and uh, you even had. Uh, um, the East Florida Rangers, which is a really uh, was a fighting unit uh, f- formed by a lo- loyalist Thomas Brown, uh, Georgia loyalist Thomas Brown, who had fled to East Florida when the Patriots came after his plantation, his his residence. Uh, early in 1775, just a month or two after Lexington Concord, he comes down to Florida and he said, "You know, I, I the best way uh, to do this is to arm all of the African Americans, arm the slaves, because he knew he knew the the, the, the mentality of, of of the Patriots." in Georgia. So uh, Brown arms a number of African Americans and sets them loose. Um, So uh, a huge difference than we have between uh, black soldiers in in the service of the British and the slaves in the service of the Americans is even if the the British African Americans are still slaves, they're allowed to carry weapons and in many cases they're carrying we've done a previous episode, episode, or actually two episodes on the liberation of West Florida by the Spanish who were aligned with the Americans so what happens is once the British are defeated in the war uh, there is no clear indication what's going to happen to East Florida. West Florida is now, uh, Pensacola is now occupied by the Spanish, as is Baton Rouge, as is Mobile, as is Natchez. Uh, you had 22,000 people in January 1783. Most of them had been loyalists. The population of Florida had probably been around 10,000, or East Florida had probably been about eight to 10,000 before um the American Revolution started. So you had a lot of loyalists fleeing and all these free African Americans coming to freedom. So there was a large number of people who had come and, and refugees in the colony. So it became especially stunning when in the Treaty of Paris, East Florida was ceded to the Spanish. And the Spanish got control of Florida again in 1784. So a number of the blacks were sent into slavery in the Caribbean. Others were sent back to their owners in the United States. This is terrible. Uh, Several of them filed for Spanish citizenship, and and they got it, uh, most of them. Uh, Some departed for uh, 
Nova Scotia, Canada, what's now Canada, and uh, got their freedom. And then there were several who went to went to Britain and and, and were free. There were others that then take off into the Florida backcountry. And that's the start of what we call the Black Seminoles. And we're going to pick up with that in the next episode. Not only the Black Seminoles, Spain, again, you know, uh, encouraging runaway slaves. And the British, who um, had been defeated in this war, their influence, parts of their influence remaining in Florida and encouraging not only runaway slaves, but also Native Americans to, to challenge the newly founded United States. So we're going to pick up with that. Uh, that would be our final episode in this series, episode four. And we will be back with you next week. Thank you for listening.